Welcome to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin Solomon, Senior Rabbi of Congregation Beth Hillel in Roswell, Georgia. Beth Hillel is one of the largest Messianic Jewish synagogues in the world and provides a place where Jewish people can find the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus in Hebrew, and retain their Jewishness. It's also where Gentiles worship and embrace the roots of the faith in drawing closer to God. Click the link in the description to support this ministry or to view our YouTube channel. Let's join Rabbi Kevin now as he shares this word from Scripture. As you may have heard from this past weekend's Shabbat services, Rabbi Kevin is not with us tonight due to having COVID, but we're happy to report that he is improving. Praise the Lord. Your continued prayers are very much appreciated. So tonight we have a special speaker from the group Two Messianic Jews, which I encourage you to check out on YouTube and on their Instagram account. Jonathan has his master's degree from Duke University and has a passion to be prepared to give answers for why we have such confidence that Yeshua is the resurrected Messiah and understanding the Jewishness of the New Testament. Let's welcome Jonathan. Thank you, Daniel. Hag Pesach Sameach. I hope you're all having a fantastic Passover on Passover Seders. I heard the one on Saturday went amazing. So today is the 17th day of Nisan, the day in history on the Jewish calendar that Yeshua rose from the, to, from the dead. I'm so honored and grateful to Rabbi Kevin for inviting me to give tonight's message, especially because I get to talk about my favorite subject. So I'll start with the question that I want you to ask yourself. How do I know Yeshua is the Messiah? How do I know Yeshua is the Messiah? In college, when I was testing the validity of my faith, I reasoned through an argument I heard from a prominent Christian apologist, and that is Yeshua claimed to be the Messiah. He claimed that his resurrection would prove the validity of that claim, and Yeshua rose from the dead, which means that's a demonstration that Yeshua is, in fact, the Messiah. And this made a lot of sense to me. In my conversations with unbelievers, I would bring up this argument. It's what convinced me myself and kind of helped me stay in the faith. But in 2016, I had a conversation with an Orthodox rabbi, a counter-missionary. Uh, it changed my life. At Messiah Conference, which is the largest Messianic Jewish conference of the year, Jewish counter-missionaries, they set up tents at the entrance to the campus where the conference is held. It's at Messiah College. And so they're at the entrance to the, to the campus, and they wave people in. Essentially what they're doing is they're trying to bring Messianic Jews to have conversations with them so they can talk them out of faith in Yeshua. They're trying to get them to leave Messianic Judaism, and what, what they're thinking is they want them to come home to Judaism, Orthodox Judaism. So they don't attend the conference, they're not part of the conference, but they do set up tents at the entrance of the campus where the conference is held, and they do this because it's a prime location to dialogue with Messianic Jews. And this has been going on for over 40 years. 
So in 2016, I went down to talk with these counter-missionaries to see how they would respond to the historical evidence for Yeshua's resurrection. This is something I was studying a lot up to this point, and it's very strong historical evidence that Yeshua rose from the dead. And I'll never forget how, how one Orthodox rabbi there responded to me. He said, even if I knew that Jesus rose from the dead, even if Jesus was standing right in front of me, I still would not believe he's the Messiah. He said that even if Yeshua was standing right in front of him, he knew Yeshua was alive, and he knew for the fact, with assurance, with certainty, that Yeshua rose from the dead, he would not believe he's the Messiah. Why is that? Well, he explained to me it's because in Deuteronomy 13, so in Deuteronomy 13, it shows us that even false prophets can perform miracles. So the resurrection would be a test from God to see if we would remain faithful to God rather than worshiping and following a false messiah. See what he's saying there? He's saying even if Yeshua rose from the dead, that would just be a test from God, a miracle that a false prophet's doing. So we're not, there's no reason to say that that is evidence that he's the messiah. And so this was a very strong objection. I didn't even want to talk about the implications the historical evidence had that you sh for the resurrection. We talked about the historical evidence, but I didn't even want to touch where the, what the theological implication was because I couldn't respond to this. I didn't know what to do. And this really challenged me, and I wanted to think about this more. And I took his objection seriously. And the reason I took it seriously, the reason I really wanted to investigate this myself is because pursuing truth is more important than proving myself right. It's, it's a principle we need to embrace, right? If Messianic Judaism is not true, we shouldn't be a part of Messianic Judaism. So, but I think it is true, of course, and that's why I really wanna investigate this and see, does, does his argument hold up? And I can tell you today that after carefully evaluating the rabbi's claim since that conversation six years ago, testing out my arguments with Jewish people who don't share my conviction that Yeshua is the Messiah, including counter-missionaries. I tested my argument with them, and I'm convinced that the opposite of what that rabbi said is true. The resurrection is evidence that Yeshua is the Messiah because of Deuteronomy 13. So tonight, in the short time that we have, I'm going to explain to you why I still believe Yeshua is the Messiah, why I'm still a Messianic Jew. And what I'm about to share with you not only sufficiently answered the rabbi's objection, but it also made my faith in Yeshua even stronger than it was before. And that's what I hope happens for you all tonight, for your faith in Yeshua to be strengthened. When Yeshua was asked what the most important commandment was, he started by reciting the Shema, calling us to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And tonight we're going to express our love for God with our minds. So get ready to examine the scripture, arguments, and evidence with me. All right, so here we go. So we'll start in Deuteronomy 13, verse 2 through 6, the text that this rabbi brought up to me. And I'm reading from the JPS translation. So the text reads, If there appears among you a prophet or a dreamer, a diviner, and he gives you a sign or a portent, saying, Let us follow and worship another god whom you have not experienced, even if the sign or portent that he named to you comes true, do not heed the words of that prophet or that dreamer diviner, for the Lord your God is testing you, right there, he's testing you, to see whether you really love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Follow none but the Lord your God and revere none but him. Observe his commandments alone and heed only his orders. Worship none but him and hold fast to him. As for that prophet or dreamer diviner, he shall be put to death. So this passage provides the criteria for Israel to distinguish between true prophets and false prophets. If someone claiming to be a prophet produces a sign, 
but they tell Israel to follow another God, to worship another God, or they teach Israel to abandon the commandments, this teaching indicates that that person is a false prophet, and according to Deuteronomy 13, verse 6, uh, Israel is commanded there to put him to death. So one question to ask the primary text here, Deuteronomy 13, is why would a false prophet use a sign to lead Israel astray? Why would they do this? And so what I'm arguing is that it's because the Torah teaches that God validates true prophets through miraculous signs. And we learn this most clearly when we understand the purpose of Moses' signs in the story of the Exodus, in the story of Passover that we're all remembering uh, this, this time. So just to give an example, uh, in Exodus 4, when, Moses, when God appears to Moses and speaks to him out of the burning bush, God provides Moses with three signs. And these signs were intended to validate Moses as a prophet before Israel, to convince our people enslaved in Egypt that Moses was sent by God. So we read in Exodus 4, verse 28 through 31. Moses told Aaron about all the things that the Lord had committed to him and all the signs which he had instructed him. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron repeated all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and he performed the signs in the sight of the people, and the people were convinced. So the reason the elders of Israel are convinced that Moses was a true prophet is because God validated him through these signs. It's the same uh, Hebrew word that is used in Deuteronomy 13 for signs, haotot. So God continues to validate Moses as a prophet before Israel through the signs he provides in the form of plagues on the Egyptians. And we all remember the plagues as we went through the Seder. And so going through it all, going to Exodus 14, the, the story of the Red Sea. So when we get to Exodus 14, uh, Moses leads Israel to the Red Sea, and they see the Egyptian army coming after them. And they're, they're panicked. And, they, and what God tells Moses is to raise his staff so that the waters would split and Israel could go on dry ground. And that's what happened. Uh, Israel went through on dry ground, as we know. And then the Egyptian army is coming after them. They're coming through on dry ground. And Moses raised his staff, and the waters collapse on the Egyptian army, destroying them. So after this, Israel is, uh, the children of Israel is looking back, and this is what it says in Exodus 14, verse 31. It says, when Israel, And when Israel saw the wondrous power which the Lord had wielded against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord. They had faith in the Lord and his servant Moses. So the reason the people of Israel have faith in Moses as a prophet is because they witnessed how God validated him through all the miracles they saw in Egypt including the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of the Egyptian army. God validated Moses through these miraculous signs. And there's many, many other examples in the Tanakh revealing that God validates true prophets through signs and wonders. And this helps us understand why the false prophet described in Deuteronomy 13 performs signs and wonders. Think about it. If God validates true prophets by providing miracles, signs and wonders, then this is what the false prophet is trying to do in their attempt to lead Israel astray. They're mimicking the real thing. But this raises another question. Okay, then how can Israel distinguish between true prophets and false prophets if they're both producing miracles? That seems kind of tough. And here we turn to the great Jewish philosopher Maimonides from the 12th century CE. And he's also known, of course, as the Rambam. To this day, Rashi and Maimonides are the most influential Jewish scholars of all time. And in his letter, in, Ra in the Maimonides' letter to an oppressed Jewish community in Yemen, Maimonides wrote the following. He said, We are enjoined to yield obedience to one who asserts that he is a prophet, 
provided he could substantiate his claims by miracle or proofs, although there is a possibility that he is an imposter. However, if the would-be prophet teaches tenets that negate the doctrines of Moses, then we must repudiate him. He goes further in uh, Mishnah Torah, and he, and he explains the following. He says, accordingly, if, if anyone should arise, whether among the Gentiles or among the Israelites, and showing a sign and token, declare that God had sent him, and assert that the commandments ordained to Israel are not a perpetual obligation for all generations, but only temporary, such a man is a false prophet, because he sets out to deny the prophecy of Moses. If he seeks to discredit the teaching of Moses, we know for certain that he is a false prophet, and whatever he did was done by secret arts and with the aid of witchcraft. Okay, so let's break that down. According to Maimonides, the key to knowing whether one is a true prophet or a false prophet is by judging whether the miracle they provide actually comes from God's power, comes from the power of God. And one way to know if their miracle comes from God's power is by evaluating their teaching. If the one claiming to be a prophet, if they teach against the Torah, we know that whatever sign they provided was empowered by something other than God, and Maimonides cites witchcraft. So if one claims to be a prophet, and we know that the miracle they provide comes from God's power, then we're to obey them because God validates true prophets through miraculous signs. All right? So I think Maimonides is right. And we look and we understand the story of Passover, right? I think this really helps us see why he's right. After Moses provides a miracle turning water into blood through God's power, in Exodus 7, verse 22, Exodus 7, verse 22 specifies that when the Egyptians mimic Moses' miracles, they're actually using sorcery. So we can read the text, Exodus 7, verse 22. But when the Egyptian magicians did the same, turning water into blood with their spells, Pharaoh's heart stiffened, and he did not heed them as the Lord had spoken. So I did some digging on this and found that in the Babylonian Talmud in Sanhedrin 67b, it recounts the teaching of Rabbi Hayah bar Abba, who says in the verse Exodus 7.22, and the magicians of Egypt did in that manner with their secret arts, these words are describing acts of employing demons, which are invisible, and their actions are therefore hidden. So God is not empowering the Egyptians with miracles. They derive their signs, they derive these uh, seemingly miracles from a source other than God. And the great scholar Rashi says, our rabbi stated that Belatehem refers to the work of demons, this word for secret arts there. And we can learn further on this. In Deuteronomy 18, we learn how to further identify a false prophet. So in verses 21 through 22, the text says, you may say to yourself, how can we recognize a word that the Lord has not spoken? If a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, but the thing does not take place or prove true, it is a word that the Lord has not spoken. Okay, very clear there. And this leads to the following observation. God would not fulfill the prophecy of a false prophet, which means that God would not validate the claim of a false prophet. And as Jewish thinkers such as Rabbi Ibn Ezra, Rabbi Jacob ben Asher, and Rabbi Chaim ibn Attar, among others, they point out that Deuteronomy 13 teaches that God tests Israel by allowing false prophets to perform signs and wonders. But this is different. This is different than God being the source of their power. And remember, that was the rabbi's objection. He was saying that God is testing Israel by raising it from the dead. But what we find amongst Jewish scholars, and we examine this text closely, is that God is allowing them, not causing them, to perform signs and wonders. 
He's not, Ibn Ezra points out that uh, God is allowing them to live so they can do whatever miracle they provide through. It could be sorcery, it could be any other means, but he's allowing them to live to test Israel. And in line with this kind of reasoning, the Babylonian Talmud, Sanhedrin 90a, records Rabbi Akiva, a second century rabbi, Rabbi Akiva stands on the issue of whether God would back up the claims of a false prophet. So Rabbi Akiva says this in uh, Babylonian Talmud, Sanhedrin 90a, Heaven forbid that the Holy One, blessed be he, would stop the sun for those who violate his will. And right here it says, a false prophet could never perform an actual miracle. So God would not validate a false prophet by empowering him or her with a miracle. God wouldn't do it. And what the Torah and Jewish tradition reveals is that if a person claims to be a prophet and God is the source of power for their miracle, then Israel is commanded to recognize that person as a true prophet. So now that we have this Jewish context, now we can turn to the, to the New Testament, specifically Matthew chapter 12. So here, leading up to Matthew 12, Yeshua performs all these specific miracles that were, we find in Second Temple Judaism were expectations of the Messiah. He's performing very specific miracles in the way he does them. And specifically in Matthew 12, he exercises a demon and heals a man who was blind and mute. And so when there's these many crowds who are there, they respond to Yeshua's healing and exorcism by saying, can this be the son of David? So what they're asking is, can this be the Messiah, this Davidic Messiah, who is going to provide these miracles? They recognize that Yeshua could be the Messiah by identifying his miracles. And the text continues in verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons, that this fellow cast out the demons. You can see why the Talmud's reference really is helpful here. So these Pharisees are not questioning whether Yeshua actually performed a healing miraculous sign. What they're doing is they're countering the crowd's curiosity that Yeshua may be the Messiah by asserting that the source of Yeshua's power for his miracle comes from a source other than God. They're attributing it to Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. So Yeshua then makes an argument for why his exorcisms are done and his healings are done by God's power. And we can read that in the text, but we don't have time, unfortunately. Uh, we go down the text and we see in verse 38 uh, that some of the Pharisees are, are still unconvinced and they say, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. They're saying, okay, give us a sign. And you know, Yeshua could provide any sign they want, but they could still call him a false prophet because of Deuteronomy 13. So in context, of course, they're asking for a sign to prove he is the Messiah, because the crowds are saying, can this be the Messiah, the son of David? And the way Yeshua responds is, is really remarkable. He says, an evil and adulterous generation clamors for a sign, yet no sign shall be given to it except the sign of, the, of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So what Yeshua is doing here is he's saying the sign to prove his messianic identity, the sign that will demonstrate he's the Messiah, will be comparable to Jonah's experience in the belly of the fish. He's going to die and shortly thereafter rise from the dead. And Yeshua repeats this message to his disciples throughout the Gospels. Read through the Gospels, Yeshua tells his disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise from the dead. And that's exactly what happened. In Mark 14, verse 60 through 64, the Sanhedrin send Yeshua to be executed for claiming to be the divine Messiah the one coming on the clouds of heaven, as only God does in the Tanakh. And the Romans execute Yeshua. And as we know, Yeshua rose from the dead on the third day of Passover. And today, of course, is the anniversary of that incredible event in Jewish history. Okay, so to review, 
Yeshua claimed that his messianic identity would be validated through the sign of his resurrection. Signs that derive from God's power validate true prophets. God would not validate the claim of a false prophet, and Yeshua rose from the dead. So Maimonides is right about Deuteronomy 13. He's right that Israel must obey a prophet provided they can provide a sign from God's power. And the sign that Yeshua prophesied would prove his messianic identity is his resurrection from the dead. And in Judaism, we know that only God has the power to resurrect the dead. And this is key. So one example from the Tanakh is in 1 Samuel 2, verse 2, and then skipping to verse 6, which makes this point well. It says, There is no rock like our God. The Lord deals death and gives life, casts down a sheol, and raises up. And when you read the Jerusalem Talmud in Sanhedrin 10.2, it explains the significance of this verse from 1 Samuel 2, verse 6, very clearly. On this verse, it says, Only the Holy One, praise to Him, can resurrect the dead. Only God can resurrect the dead. And a clear expression of this Jewish belief that only God has the power to raise the dead to life comes, of course, in the Amidah, which says, You are mighty forever, O Lord. You revive the dead. Who is like you? Master of mighty deeds, who can be compared to you? O king who causes death and restores life and causes your salvation to sprout, you are faithful to restore the dead to life. Blessed are you, O Lord, who brings life to the dead. So the Amidah is the central prayer of the morning, afternoon, and evening prayers. And this section of the prayer, called the Gibarot, praises God for God's might and his unique power to resurrect the dead. And there's a lot more examples I could give, but we don't have two hours. That's okay. But the point here is that throughout Jewish history, Jewish thinkers have continually echoed the powerful Amidah prayer, declaring God's exclusive power to raise the dead to life. Okay, so to sum up, my mind is right about Deuteronomy 13. The way we know whether a miracle validates one claiming to be a prophet is by identifying whether the source of power for their miracle comes from God. And God's exclusive power to resurrect the dead is what the Tanakh teaches and Judaism affirms to this day. So the source of power for Yeshua's messianic sign, the sign that would demonstrate he is the Messiah, comes from God. And thus Yeshua's resurrection is God's validation of Yeshua's messianic identity. So the way I've formulated this, I call it the Rambam resurrection argument since it's such inspired by Maimonides, and I formulate this into a philosophical argument, a deductive argument. So the conclusion follows logically from these premises. So it kind of lists them out. Yeshua claimed his messianic identity would be validated through the sign of his resurrection. Signs that derive from God's power validate true prophets. God would not validate the claim of a false prophet, and Yeshua rose from the dead. Only God can raise the dead. Therefore, Yeshua is the Messiah. So this conclusion, philosophically, this conclusion follows logically and necessarily. Yeshua is the Messiah because he rose from the dead. And there's so many awesome truths we can learn from Yeshua's resurrection, and I'll leave you with two more. One of the major Jewish objections to Yeshua being the Messiah is that Yeshua cannot be the Messiah because he did not fulfill the major messianic prophecies, such as there's a huge num so there's a huge number of Jews who are still in exile. We're not all back in the land. The Jerusalem temple is not rebuilt. The Messiah is not reigning in Jerusalem, and not all Jewish people are obeying the Torah. There's no world peace, and the universal knowledge of God is not spread to all. 
So that's the first objection. It is, it is weighty. And the second objection is that Jewish objection is that Yeshua can't be the Messiah because he taught Jews that they no longer need to keep the commandments. So according to Deuteronomy 13, if this is what Yeshua taught, he would be a false prophet. Now, these are hard objections. I understand why so many of my Jewish brothers and sisters do not accept Yeshua as the Messiah. These are weighty. But Yeshua's resurrection, Yeshua's resurrection provides a powerful response. First, Yeshua's resurrection is God's sign to Israel and the rest of the world that Yeshua is the Messiah, the one, the Messiah, who will completely fulfill the remaining prophecies when he returns. So there will be lasting peace with the Messiah reigning on David's throne in Jerusalem. And we know that Yeshua will be that one, that Messiah, because God has already identified him as the Messiah by raising him from the dead. As for the second objection, I agree that if Yeshua taught that the Torah is obsolete, that Jews no longer need to keep the commandments, then Yeshua would not be the Messiah. Because in Deuteronomy 13, the false prophet uses signs to lead Israel to abandon the commandments. However, because we know that God raised Yeshua from the dead, validating his messianic identity, this indicates that Yeshua did not contradict the Torah. It shows us that Yeshua is the Messiah who taught Jews to continue living as Jews, faithfully committed to keeping the commandments. And this is exactly what we find in Yeshua's teachings recorded in the Gospels. We find it everywhere, and in a lot of places at least. And Matthew 5, 17 is a great example if you want to go look that up on your own. So the reason I still believe that Yeshua is the Messiah and continue to live as a Jew comes down to the historical reality of Yeshua's resurrection. And how cool is it? How cool is it that we get to celebrate Yeshua's resurrection on the day it actually happened in history as Jews and as Gentiles? I think it's so cool. Hag Pesach Sameach. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Rabbi Kevin. Please like, subscribe, and share this link with a friend. We would be grateful to receive your tax-deductible gift to further the good news of Messiah Yeshua. To make a contribution, please click on the PayPal link in the description. Also, to view our regular services, click the link in the description for our YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Yeshua the Messiah or how you can become part of our Bethlehem family, please visit our website at www.bethhalel.org. That's B-E-T-H-H-A-L-L-E-L dot O-R-G. Or call 770-641-3000. If you are in the metro Atlanta area, please visit us for an Arab Shabbat service, Friday nights at 8 o'clock, or Shabbat services, Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom. Nine, 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 nine.